Thank you to Wildcare and Wildlife Acoustics for sponsoring the Bat Chat podcast. Can you hear that? We can. Wildlife Acoustics creates the world's leading bat acoustic monitoring tools, designed to help scientists make impactful discoveries for our biologically diverse planet, turning this into this. Visit wildlifeacoustics.com to learn more. Wildcare are committed to supporting the ecology industry and are specialists in supplying a large range of monitoring, conservation and habitat management products, as well as equipment hire and service and repair. With a large range of products coupled with friendly and expert help and advice, Wildcare is a favourite supplier for ecologists nationwide. Go to wildcare.co.uk to see the full range and quote BatChat at the checkout for 10% off all bat detectors and bat boxes. Hello and welcome to Bat Chat from the Bat Conservation Trust. This podcast is for anyone who loves bats. We bring you the stories from the world of bat conservation, from the people on the ground doing work that furthers our understanding of these magical creatures. There's a lot of information and experience out there and our aim is to bring it right to you. I'm Steve Rowe, I'm an ecologist and a trustee of the Bat Conservation Trust. Don't forget you can join the conversation online using the hashtag BatChat, that's all one word. Later on, we'll hear from Batchat listener Wendy, who tells us about the bats she's living alongside. But first this week, we come to you from a secret location near Midhurst in West Sussex. Recorded in July with Scotty Dodd from the Sussex Bat Group, we're sat in a small block of woodland at the bottom of a dell on a leaf-covered track leading to a rundown building hidden amongst the trees. In 2019, Scotty made probably one of the Bat Group's most important discoveries, the first greater horseshoe bat maternity roost in Sussex for 100 years. As the evening breeze moves through the beech trees around us, he starts off by taking us through the story of how he discovered the roost that we're both sat in front of during this interview. Okay, yeah, so as you say, I found it in 2019. It was still winter, so uh, February, February the 14th. And at the time, it was just a single bat. And obviously, I I told people in, in, in the bat group, Tony Hudson and Martin Phyllis, and the general consensus of opinion was that we've occasionally seen these bats turn up in structures before and they've usually disappeared by May and we've no idea where they go, but we think they might gather somewhere for a small maternity roost. Oh. So at that point, I started putting passive bat detectors, uh, trail cameras, that sort of thing in, in the building so we could monitor whether activity went up or down. That year the bats weren't particularly visible. It's quite a large building and there's areas of the roof void that you just can't view into without being very disturbing, using ladders, that sort of thing. Which if it was a maternity roost we wouldn't want to be doing throughout the summer and, you know, causing the, the bats to abandon the building. And so we were doing everything very carefully and all that we got in the first year was some tantalising um, ultrasound calls which... We sent to Margaret Andrews, um, who's done an awful lot of work on uh, greater and lesser horseshoe bats over the years. And it took us some time and deliberation, but eventually she got back to us and said, I've measured and re-measured your calls for a number of times, sat about it, thought about it, gone back to it, and I'm absolutely sure that what you've recorded is a mother carrying a baby and some other uh, evidence of juvenile calls. And then she said, categorically, um, 
when we talked about numbers of bats being caught on the trail cam rather than going down to zero we were starting to see uh, two three maybe four on the trail cam but the image isn't great and uh, she said well bats will only be gathering at a building at this time of year and making these sorts of social calls if it's a maternity roost and of course we were seeing on the emergence surveys uh, you know more and more bats starting to emerge from the building until I think we had a maximum in the first year of five or six. In 2020, we had a much luckier time. We still had all the recording equipment in there, but the bats were good enough to spend a lot of time roosting at the end of the building where we could view them from from a rear window. So we literally stood outside of of the bat roost, uh, just filming in through a grill. And it, it was then that we made the the discovery of, of, of the first baby, um, which then within a few weeks became a, a cluster of babies or pups. And yeah, we've, we've gone on from there really. So what's the largest count then of these horses you've had so far? Well, in 2020, we had six adult females that had three pups. And we think we lost one of the pups to a tawny owl. Um, we had some trail cam footage of, of the owl up in, in the roof void being swarmed by the bats and what looked like a limp bat wing between the, the, the rafters. And sure enough, um, the, the subsequent count, I think we only had eight coming out instead of nine. Um, so so we, th- we think we lost one nature red in tooth and claw. This year, I, I think 2021, we, we didn't have as much luck, but this year we've had a maximum of nine adults. And so far, and we need to check again this evening, so far we've had five pups. Um, but also, even in the winter hibernation surveys, we've been having record numbers. Uh, Nick Gray and his team recorded uh, uh, across the several tunnels that they survey, Um a total of 13 bats and that was in conjunction with Daniel Whitby who was going to some of the structures where he knew the bats overwintered as well and so uh, all of the Sussex bat ecologists have been um, coordinating so, so, so we can get the best information on the estimated population size. Like you say you've been working with other ecologists you suspected that there was a population here how many other different sites roughly have you been recording these bats in the winter then? The, se- the several tunnels, I do, I do do some of the tunnel checks myself, but I, I've not been to all of them, and Tony's probably best best place to answer that because, you know, he's been doing it since since the back group began. Um, but, yeah, they're, 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 uh, uh, they use several of the tunnels, some more than others, um, and then there's, as I say, a couple of other structures that other ecologists are, are, are aware of as well. So, I mean, we've seen it's, this has attracted a lot of media attention and the, the headlines that's being grabbed by everyone is this is the first maternity roost of greater horseshoe bats in sussex for at least 100 years you've attracted lots of media attention with this good news story and you've even got the broadcaster and author stephen moss involved why is this roost so significant for for the southeast of england well, it's a pioneering roost. Greater horseshoe bats suffered a massive decline. Um, we've all heard some horror stories about, um, y- you know, the, the catastrophic number of casualties at, say, Creech Manor in Dorset, uh, y- you know, going back probably 50 years. And uh, the, the, the numbers drop is somewhere in the 90%, I think, was it? And they were completely lost from, well... 
as a breeding species as far as we knew from the southeast of England um, the the only records we were really getting was occasional individuals or a small number of individuals in winter hibernation sites but the feeling was that it was possible they could be breeding so so to find that you know it's it's absolute luck you you, you know it's a needle in a haystack thing but yeah, as luck would have it, the the building they were using um, came came under my nose. And once you'd found that discovery and Maggie Andrews had confirmed it was indeed a maternity roost, how quickly did you move to protect the site and the bats and make the landowner aware of the significance? Once again, we were very, very lucky. Um, the landowner was an executor and he he was just sorting out the, the, the sort of will of the guy who'd owned this and uh, to, to all intents and purposes had been an absentee landlord. You know, had bought the place and not really done anything with it in his 30, 40 years of tenure or whatever it was. And so they didn't really have a great vested interest. Um, There was more land within the parcel that we don't own. There's another sort of two and a half acres, and then there were various meadows and other bits and bobs. And um, the executor had come up with a a plan, a housing scheme, if you like, within the area. And that, that just didn't even get off the ground. So they were looking at converting this building we're at, in, into a residence and you, you know we sought advice from natural england would they even concede to letting that go ahead and uh, as it happened yes they would because i think they had the foresight to see that if no one did anything the building was going to fall down i mean uh, as soon as we discovered the place thieves came and stole the lead off the roof and from that point in uh, it started to deteriorate you know it is quite an old building it was built in uh, in around the 1830s 1840s and so the 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 internal construction is lath and plaster rather than you know modern plasterboards that was getting saturated and falling down in huge chunks which was letting the light into the 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 bats roosting area it was it was changing the airflow so many things uh, going against it um so we had to come up with a plan but I think that the executor at the time realised that that was going to be not only a long but potentially very expensive road if he had to provide roosting space for the bats within the building or an alternative. And so I sort of said, well, what if I could find someone who might be interested in, in buying it, as is, just for conservation? And we settled on a price, uh, as everyone should know by now that's uh, been following the campaign, that was 200 k. I I mean, we are in um, the heart of the South Downs National Park, so land buildings premium. And we went around a few organisations. It was a very, very difficult time. Uh, the pandemic had just kind of come upon us. Um, people didn't know what was happening and, and no one wanted to take the risk. But Vincent Wildlife Trust were interested and did take that risk and now we're working in partnership as a back group and um, Vincent Wildlife Trust to to raise the funds needed now we've purchased the building we now need to repair it and there's a lot of repairs there's there's damage to one of the walls the roof needs completely replacing and anyone who's done any building work during the pandemic will be acutely aware at how costs have risen for doing this you, you know everything from batons to slates is uh yeah a lot more expensive than it was two three years ago and you've you've answered my next question you know what what plans are there to improve the site 
are you going to improve any of the internal features for the bats to use as well as making the building watertight etc yeah so so once we've made it weatherproof um there's other things we need to do but we need to do it carefully and we need to do it incrementally so at the moment um it's beautiful building it's just it's a shame we can't show it to you on, a, on an audio well i was going to say do you want to do an audio description to describe what we're sat in front of then so it's it's a classic textbook greater horseshoe bat building it's a large old victorian stable block made out of local stone with brick coins and uh, and a, a pitch slate roof but it, it wasn't just uh, any old stables for any old nags uh, this was for a, a polo team and the, the landscape around us has changed considerably. You know, we're sat essentially in, in, in a woodland, aren't we? But um, you see how the land slopes up away from us. We're kind of in a dell here. And you'll notice if you can see through all the nettles and whatnot that are here now, that it's actually quite flat along the top. And that's where they used to, I'm told, exercise the horses just walking them around, just, just to warm them up. And, um, yeah, and, and they had... Um, out in in the wider area there were various other training grounds and 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 polo fields and whatnot it's got excellent flying access via the 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 main door and then there's uh several windows that aren't blocked by grills or anything else and the bats are quite curious Uh, they're down the far end of the building or up in the roof void and there's many places where they could uh egress from the building but they choose to fly up and down the corridor, which some people call light sampling. Uh, Margaret Andrews call, calls it um, social flight. And they always come out the front door. Every time. These bats have manners. They'll try and confuse you. They'll fly back in through the windows, but then they'll always come back out the door again. But because we've got problems with predators, we've had cats, owls, humans, all coming into the bat roost, we need to do something to, as I say, gradually um, start blocking these exits off so predators and and people can't can't get in there but the bats can still get in and out and aren't put off so we don't want to do anything too quickly uh just boarding it off and leaving them a little letterbox uh we we need to do it slowly probably over a couple of years and you reckon with those sorts of improvements the roost size may well increase over time well i think once it's weather tight once it's secure that gives them the best chance but there's so much more we can do and it all really depends on how generous the public are how generous the grant funders are and how much we can raise because to give them the best chance and to enhance or maximize on colony growth i mean as you well know as a bat lover um you, you know bats in general have but one younger year um, so it's always going to be slow when you're, you're starting with, with only nine bats. And of course, greater horseshoe bats uh, can take four or five years to reach sexual maturity. So, they, you, you, you know, a female pup born this year uh, won't be producing for, for several more years. So it, it's going to be a slow game. But if we can afford to put in heaters and hot boxes and other heat variations, say, um, cool cool boxes or cool rooms cooler areas within the roost we can make the roost better for the bats at different times of years and and maximize on colony growth at the time when it matters in summer and that's what horses need is that they want something that's got a range of temperatures to be suitable for both summer and winter Yes, I mean, they, they have got the hibernation tunnels as well, but there's the potential here for, for us to give them another safe option. 
I mean, because the, the the tunnels are great, but uh, I mean, I'm uh, I'm aware that they get broken into here and there, and that must be quite disturbing for the bats, particularly if it's cold winter. Not that we're having too many of them, but yeah, we 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 just want to give them as many options as possible. So, if they're here in this building, are they then also somewhere else nearby? You know, is there another roost or another population even? I would be surprised if there was another breeding population. Never say never, and it'd be wonderful if they did have an alternative. We are aware of other structures, buildings, underground structures, um, and, of course, the the old railway tunnels that they use at different times of year. And certainly <clears throat> some of these are what you might call spring and autumn transitional roosts. So it can always be a bit quiet here in around April, early May. But we've got an inkling by working with other bat ecologists of where they are or might be. Um, and and th- there's a good spread of these sites uh, uh, across Sussex. Uh, there's also other structures that we know of that are less important. Uh, in fact, there's one here on another part of the site that's just a night roost or a feeding roost. So so we, we've got evidence that they go in there, they eat their beetles, they eat their moths and uh and and do their droppings etc and what did it feel like when you walked into this building and saw horseshoes you know what was that feeling like to discover the roost a bit overwhelming to 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 be perfectly honest uh you you know i don't consider myself a a bat expert at the level of tony hudson and, and 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 whatnot and so i had my infrared camera with me i got a good uh zoomed in image of of this bat and it's almost like your brain's telling you it cannot be a horseshoe bat you must be mistaken it must be something else so I, i got it home blew it up on the big screen and i was you know as certain as i could be but i still sent it to my mentor martin phyllis and said please martin you you've, you've just got to double check because he he had lots of experience of horseshoe bats he, he, he's another um back group member who's been doing it for years and going into the tunnels for years so he, he was very familiar and so that's great he goes yes well done scotty so, <laughs> but you know at that point again it was still well let's wait and see what happens Let, let's not get too excited just yet and how quickly do you need to to raise those funds then? Well, the, the bats start to leave the building after the maternity season. And so sort of September, October, we should, in theory, be able to start doing some of the work. And as I say, we're going to phase it. I mean, the most important thing is going to be structural stuff and getting the, the roof's got to come off completely uh, all the timbers replaced and then it's going back on with all new slates we've got slates here we could reuse them um but y- you know they were put up there in the 1840s perhaps and so y- you know how much life have they got left in them a lot of them are, are broken and crumbly so vwt think it's best just to, to put all, all new and then it then you know it's got a hundred years lifespan at least uh, the slates that do come off, uh, you see this little unroofed building here. That, when I first came here, that did actually have a roof on it, and it, it collapsed after the storm. But we've got a local company, Artisans of Wood, who do fantastic hobbit-like wood building with roundwood timber frame as, as, as well as traditional timber frame. They very, very kindly offered uh, to frame out that building and clad it, and then our builder will recycled the the slates off 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 the main building and put them on there and make a lovely hide for uh you know back group members uh, potentially down the line maybe even small quiet school groups 
and, and such like but but there'll be a, a, a little building opposite the main entrance where you can get a front row seat and and watch our glorious greater horseshoe bats emerging from the building that sounds great and quite a lot of the other uh Vince wildlife trust roost sites have cameras in has that discussion happened in terms of putting cameras in so that people can view them from home on the internet absolutely uh as i said at the moment we've got various um trail cams in there that's more for monitoring purposes but we've already been speaking with the national trust who uh, own nearby petworth house about the possibility of if we could have cctv in here would we be able to to live stream but uh, and and then people pick it up when they're visiting petworth house and be aware of the project and, and get involved but also yeah there's the potential to stream it to um to to websites vwt's website that sort of thing so you realised you needed to secure this roost and take it off the open market. How did you then kickstart the fundraising, Scotty? Yeah, it was a tricky process because um, we were given a deadline and yet to actually get started and go public, if, if you like, and get the money coming in, um, we, we were really slow, slow off, off, off the mark for, for, for various unforeseen reasons. So it, it, it was basically leaving us, I don't know, six seven eight months i forget how long but the back groups really really rallied round nationally not not just those in the southeast with with an interest in seeing the species spread back but from far and wide we we had some superb and significant donations and we really can't thank them enough uh we also had uh, a substantial um donation from the people's trust for endangered species so great to see another charity putting their money quite literally where their mouth is in in supporting uh an endangered species project that wasn't their own so yeah good on them thumbs up so 100 grand's needed how can people listening to the show donate actually we need a little bit more than 100 grand uh so we managed to raise the 200k to purchase the building by the deadline in, in february gone but we did have to take out a little bit of a loan just to make up a, a, a shortfall. And then, as I say, the, the estimates uh, and quotes have, have gone up. So I think, in reality, we're looking at a figure more like 150k to 200k if we want to do everything. The bells and whistles that we talked about earlier, the, the hot boxes, the cool boxes, the cameras. Uh, you, you, you know, we... We don't have to do everything if, if we realistically can't make the money. But I like to think that we can. I like to think that even though times are really, really tough with rising food costs and travel costs, there's still a lot of people uh, that love bats, love wildlife in general, and have great generosity and will get behind this campaign when they finally get to hear about it. Great stuff. And is that donation link on the vwt website yeah there's there's actually a couple of ways you can go about it the easiest and simple way which is is for me is you can just google Sus sussex bat appeal and something will come up <laughs> but vincent wildlife trust website have got dedicated page it's got the video with steve moss that you mentioned earlier it's got um something we we try and keep updated which is a history of of uh, finding the site and what's been going on so what's new this year uh, YouTube links to to footage from, from the roost that we've got this year uh, so you can get to see the babies yourself and then of course it, it's got a link to making donations or you could just contact VWT um, 
by mail, by telephone, uh, if, if you're feeling a bit old school, and, and you can talk to their finance team, and, and you, can, you can make a donation over the phone. Uh, backs, check, we'll accept anything. <laughs> Sussex Back Group, for our part, one of our members set us up with an excellent Just Giving page. Uh, again, that's got a little bit of history, pictures of the bats, and you can just click on a button and make a donation anonymously if you like, or you can leave an encouraging message to try and galvanise others into, into into parting with a few quid. And there's also the option um, to to click the um, gift aid as well, which means we, we we get a bit more money. So we'll put all those links into the show notes of of this episode, so you guys listening at home can find all those links. Scotty, I should have asked, what's your background in ecology and you know, why are we doing the surveys here and what's your history with Sussex Back Group? I've been working in the ecological sector for, for many years. Um, I used to be working on organic farms in Herefordshire and I'd never even heard of a countryside ranger <laughs> and then I met one and I thought, that's brilliant. <laughs> he gets to drive around in a Land Rover knows loads about wildlife and gets to do really cool things like hedge laying coppice management or cops management and you know all these other things depending where you were dry stone walling you know it just sounded really exciting and this is kind of um pre-internet it was certainly pre-internet for me anyway you, you, you know I, I was just living on a on a farm we we didn't have much technology beyond tractors to be perfectly honest um and so i managed to find out that you could go and do courses in in this sort of thing at at agricultural colleges and I was actually from the kind of um, Surrey area and so the local college to us there would have been Merist Wood Um, and so I found out a bit more and I could do I think it was a three year course and I was already really into natural history I went out with the uh, Ledbury Natural History Society which was full of people that were older than me that had diverse interests and you learnt about fungi plant galls uh, got pretty good at botany and, and, and insects and stuff like that. No one did bats, I know, in the group. Um, so I already had a pretty good knowledge. And, and, and so I, I went to this Merriswood course. I did it for three years or whatever. And, and I walked into my first post as a ranger or a warden um, with, with the National Trust on a beautiful chalk downland. And that's where I first... And started to learn a little bit about bats because National Trust was a fantastic organisation to to work for. You you wanted for nothing kit wise and equipment, but also they were really good at um, training and, and personal development. And so they'd run events like um, getting involved with the Surrey Bat Group, taking all the wardens off to and Wharf or somewhere like that and, and we'd be there with the tunable detectors listening and watching or Benson, Sopranos, that sort of thing and uh, yeah it, it was from there that I sort of flirted with bat groups but I, I was mainly a ranger a practical habitat management um, kind of guy uh, but then I started to get more and more into invertebrates and I was rearing out um, the inhabitants of plant galls, so tiny tiny little wasps uh, like, and all, all the things that make the galls so so say the cinnipid wasp that makes a, a marble gall on, a, on an oak tree will have lots of little chalcid wasps little jewel like wasps that parasitize it and there's parasites on the parasites and so on and so forth and I got quite good at identifying these things and then started looking at other things like beetles, bugs, flies uh, and then other invertebrates spiders, woodlice 
and it's a, it's an almost endless fauna in in the UK, even though we're quite depauperate compared to you know the tropics or something. And so I ended up transitioning from being a ranger at Surrey Wildlife Trust to being their dedicated invertebrate ecologist. Once you know, once I'd got good enough at it, and that's what I do now for a living. Um, you know, with a smattering of other ecology surveys as as well, because you know I'm a fairly good all-round botanist uh, and an interest in in all other wildlife. And so, yeah, I, I came to this site uh, just to do uh, what we call kind of a preliminary ecological appraisal, uh, just to see if there was any quality to, to to the site before they they build on it. And yeah, and here we are. Right. Should we go and have a look at these bats then? I'll get the camera. So Scotty's just uh, moving some tarpaulin aside and he's got a, a Canon camcorder, but I'm assuming it's not a normal camera, is it? It's infrared. And it's got these little infrared torches, so you've got one with a fisheye beam and then just a, a direct light. Let's see if we can see anything. So Scotty's currently scanning the the inside of the roof along the along the beams and rafters. There they are. Can you see? And just like that, there's a roost of oh, what's that? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, about nine. Nine ten. Great horseshoe bats right yeah. at the far end. It's getting tricky now because um the earliest pup is is getting quite large. So yeah. when you're literally doing a head count, you have to press record and then I can have a count on the big screen at home. They're doing this typical little thing that they do. We call it, or Colin Morris called it, the, the Mexican wave. <laughs> where they all simultaneously do a little shiver. And they're not really bothered by I mean, they must know that we're here at the other oh, end of the building, yeah. but they're not bothered at all, are they? Uh, they see him again. And that's it. We just sort of talk quietly, but in normal voices, because whispering is is more likely to produce ultrasonic noises you know sharp little hisses and things so they're not bothered they've no. not even done a little fly around to check us out and they're all clustered in between two rafters just in the one gap at the far end of the barn right right near the ridge presumably that's where it's going to be warmest with all the hot air collecting there yeah so we're in early evening now, it, it, it's cooled down, it's not been as warm as it was yesterday, uh, so they're actually, as you say, closer to the ridge, whereas when I came a, th a little while ago and it was blazing hot sunshine, mm. uh, they were actually sort of about, call it three rungs down, okay, yeah. um, where it was just that little bit cooler. And when it's really quite cold, they go into this roof void here, and they go right down the other end of the building, and as you can see... So if that's the door height there, and the door height's oh, probably, yeah, what, yeah. about seven foot, you're talking, well, six to seven foot, you're talking maybe another eight to ten foot above that, so it's a ladder job, and as I said earlier, you don't really want to be climbing <laughs> around with, with ladders, because although most of the bats might be at that end, you've got this little area over here where you could have one or two bats tucked away. Yeah. So we'll leave them to it now. Great stuff. We'll wait for it to get dark and do a cam.
It was great meeting Scotty in the summer and I want to say thanks to him for taking time out of his day to sit down with me to record that interview. As you heard, lots of money is needed to stop the building from falling into disrepair and to make improvements which will give the roost every chance of success and growing in the coming years. If you'd like to make a donation, the first link in the show notes will take you to the Just Giving page, which also includes a video of the site and the roost so you can see the building for yourself. There are also other links to be found in the show notes, including the video featuring the naturalist and author Stephen Moss. Now, just before we go, we've had a voicemail left by a listener. Last week, I mentioned we want you to get in touch, and that's what Wendy did after listening to that last episode. Hi, Steve. It's Wendy. Um, Just to say, my initial fascination with bats began a few years ago when uh, we rented a property in Mottisfont, Hampshire, from the National Trust, and we were informed we had a Barberstell maternity roost in the loft. I then quickly went out and purchased my first bat recorder, um, which was a bat baton, and quickly followed by the echo meter touch. Several thousand recordings later, I am still completely hooked, um, and several books later, and listening to your podcasts. Um, We then recently moved to Seend in Wiltshire and this July and within two weeks of moving in I was making a cup of tea. It was 4am and to my delight there was probably 20 uh, soprano pipistrels um, swarming outside of their roost entrance. I was so, so thrilled, so excited. I have not really slept much this summer. I've been (laughs) keeping my eye on them. Um, recording them. I have posted lots of my slow motion recordings on Twitter um, and that that has got to be my highlight so far. I'm so thrilled, feel so protective um, and just love listening to your podcast. Thanks so much for getting in touch, Wendy. I had no idea that Mottis Font was such an important site for Barbastells. Who knows, Batchat may well be making a visit there in the not-so-distant future. Please do get in touch with the show to tell us about your bats, a special bat sighting you had this year, or a site you think everyone should visit to go and watch bats. Whether you're new to bats or a seasoned bat lover, we really want to hear from you, so do get in touch. The voicemail link is in the show notes, and don't worry, you can hear your message back and re-record it if you don't like it before sending it to us. Messages can be up to 90 seconds long, and we can't wait to hear from you. We're back in two weeks' time at a Tudor Manor house above the River Wye in the Peak District. See you then. What did you think of this episode? If you can please leave a quick comment about the show in the ratings and review section, we'd really appreciate it. It helps other listeners to discover our podcast.